All right. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the Learn About World Cuisine podcast. Here's what you're going to hear today. Today, we're taking a tour of China and Asia. And this show will be all about Chinese cuisine, Asian cuisine. I'm going to start the show with 60 very interesting facts about China and Asia. And then 15 minutes into the podcast, my co-host, Peter DeFeo, you know him from The Sopranos. He's been over in over 100 movies. He's going to call in and talk about his real-life experience in Tokyo. 45 minutes into the hour, you're going to hear from my co-host, P, uh, Matt Maratea. He is an alcohol expert. Matt is going to give you information on alcohol pairings with your favorite Chinese and Asian cuisine. Let's get started. First fact, fortune cookies were actually imported from the United States to Hong Kong in 1908. Uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of Chinese cuisine was created in California, San Francisco, Chinatown. And you, I was surprised to find out that fortune cookies are actually an American item uh, from Asian immigrants. Chinese food is based on five flavors which need to be balanced. Sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and spicy. The diet in China pretty much eats everything and sometimes makes uh, visitors to their country squeamish because they eat stuff like uh, rats, snakes, and boiled blood. That is a part of their culture. Uh, when you go visiting China, it, it, there's, uh, they don't like to waste any part of any food. So it's very common that they eat snakes, rats, boiled blood, etc. Uh, they also eat many fruits and vegetables that you don't normally see, uh, such as bitter cucumber and tree fungi. Uh, Chinese cuisine does not like to waste, and fish are usually not filleted. Uh, once again, I'm going to give you rambling facts for the first 15 minutes. Then we go to Peter DeFeo. He's going to give you his real-life uh, experience in Tokyo. And then 45 minutes into the hour, we bring on our alcohol expert to teach you about the best alcohol uh, pairings. China also, uh, Chinese cuisine, they also like to eat many fruits and vegetables uh, that you don't normally see. Chinese uh, cuisine also does not like to waste, uh, waste things, and fish is usually not filleted. They also have chopsticks because forks and knives are seen to be barbaric. So that is the reason that uh, they use chopsticks in Chinese cuisine. Uh, they feel that forks and knives seem to be more barbaric. This is an ancient uh, theory uh, that goes back many years. Uh, China uses 45 billion chopsticks per year. That's right. 45 billion chopsticks are used per year in China. China believes that the first bite is with your eyes. So if you go to China and you go to some of the restaurants, the plating is over the top. I mean, they really, really go big and fancy with their plating. 
and that is because their culture believes that the first bite is with your eyes. Uh, They also like to give their dishes catchy names. So sometimes when you go to China, if you're going uh, to China, the names can be misleading and not actually what is in the meal. For instance, if you go to China and ask for field chicken, that is actually a frog. So the names are misleading in their cuisine. Uh, For example, field chicken is actually a frog. Uh, Food is superstitiously symbolic. For instance, uh, ingot-shaped dumplings means that you're going to have wealth in the new year. Uh, A lot of their food is due to superstitious uh, symbolisms. Traditional Chinese meals are served communally, and people sit around the table, and the food is put in the center. I want to explain that. So when you dine out in China, it is traditional for everybody to sit around the big table, and then them they will put the food in the center, and then everybody serves themselves. That is uh, what you'll find if you go to a restaurant in China. Also, I found out that uh, Chinese uh, cuisine in America, people that are born and raised in actual China would never recognize the American Chinese menu. It is mostly Americanized. Uh, If you're talking about tradition and you uh, are born and raised in China, they would hardly even recognize anything on the American menu. a lot of the American Chinese food that you get at your corner store or whatever, uh, that was actually uh, created in America. That is not, most of it is not traditional Chinese food from China. Uh, The honored guest is always seated at the head of the table, furthest from the door. And the head of food, such as fish and ducks, are always served facing the honored guest. So that means if you're an honored guest at a traditional Chinese meal in China, that you will sit at the head of the table and they will serve you your food, such as fish or duck, it will be facing you. Uh, Because you are the honored guest. So the head of the fish or duck that they're serving will always face the honored guest. Uh, Chop suey was invented by Asian immigrants in America. I know a lot of people that that tie in chop suey to Chinese uh, restaurants, but that was actually created in America by uh, Asian immigrants. Bowls of soup are eaten at the end of the meal and not the beginning. This is what I found interesting. When I go get wonton soup and then I get my meal, it's always assumed that the wonton soup is eaten first, not in China. China, they have their soup after the main meal. So I found that interesting. Uh, The Chinese eat tea all throughout the day. So that means, uh, you know how you go to a Chinese restaurant, they serve you the tea first? In China, they drink tea all throughout the day. There's no such thing as drinking tea before your meal. It's drank all throughout the day. 
Uh, ice cream was in, here's here's I want to make sure everyone understands this. Ice cream was invented in China. That's right, you heard it. Ice cream was invented in China, and it was brought to Italy uh, by Marco Polo, the explorer, and that is how it eventually made its way to America. Uh, the Chinese believe that noodles represent a long life. Chinese believe that noodles represent a long life, and uh, it is often uh, tradition to serve noodles on your birthday because that is a representation of a long life. Uh, eating good food represents a closeness with your family in China. Uh, the staple foods in China are rice, noodles, vegetables, sauces, and seasonings. That Those are the staples. So most of your traditional Chinese meals will have that. And here's an interesting thing I found. Um, once again, this show is all about China and Asian cuisine. I'm going to give you uh, 60 facts that you probably never heard of about uh, what it's like to live in China or or Asia and dine out. Part of the ancient history made it illegal to consume beef because they believed that farming animals were sacred and meant for the highest of all rit rituals. So there was a point in China where you could get, uh, it was illegal to eat beef. So uh, Chinese chop suey. Uh, Chinese chop up their food in bite-sized pieces so that it's easy to pick up. Uh, that is why they use the, once again, they use the uh, chopsticks uh, because uh, forks and knives are considered barbaric in their culture. That is why they use chopsticks. And in order to make it easier to use chopsticks, they chop their food up in very small pieces. Uh, every region in China has its own specialty noodle dish. Uh, so if you go to a different region, they all each have their own specialty noodles. Uh, Chinese people steam dumplings in round bamboo baskets. I still see that in America. You'll go to some of the places, uh, authentic Chinese restaurants, and they steam it in the round bamboo baskets. Uh, Beijing cuisine is prevalent in northern China. It emphasizes in light and subtle flavors. Okay, we just gave you a couple facts to hold you over about China and Asia. And now on the phone, my co-host, Peter DeFeo, you know him from movies and The Sopranos. He's going to tell you what it's like to visit Tokyo. Peter Hey, how you doing? Oh, outstanding. And we're all excited because Tokyo is a place that a lot of people uh, strive to go to. And talk about Tokyo. You said you were in Tokyo. Oh, it's a place everyone should go to. It is fantastic. Everything. The people are wonderful. You wonder how we ever got into a war with the Japanese. Uh, Tokyo itself has so much going for it. When you travel from area to area, they give you a card, you know, just like you have in uh, Philadelphia or New York or uh, France or anywhere else. But their card, you cannot make a mistake. You put in where you want to go, 
and you cannot go through a, 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 a pass area unless it is heading towards your direction. But anyhow, let's get to the food. The yeah. food is something else. Sushi. Sushi, I thought sushi was all about fish. But no. No, sushi, sushi is about rice. Sushi means rice. Oh, I didn't know and that. It's with, oh. Yeah, it's with rice. Uh, sushi uh, is anything with rice. I mean, I had sweet potatoes with rice. Um, of course, they, they like they have eels with uh, rice. Yeah. They wrap the rice, they, they lay it inside, they flatten the rice, and they lay the, the uh, feet, the, either veggies or fruit or or seafood, and they roll it, and they put a, uh, a an outside covering uh, with seaweed, of, you know, a, uh, a processed, flat, dried uh, seaweed-type thing. The, and then they cook the seaweed, sushi sometimes. Uh, it's it's called, it's another type of... Uh, of food, they eat very little meat. They eat mostly veggies, and uh, their tours from area to area in the city and different hotels and what have you. They have different types of food. They specialize in different types of food. Romaine noodles. Uh, we have them here. Uh, they're very popular. They mix them in with some of the food that they have. Uh, there's a uh, Andu style sushi is the most famous or the most popular type of sushi in uh, Japan, in Tokyo. Uh, in Old City, which is about 600 miles south of Tokyo, they have old-fashioned food, old-fashioned everything. They bring you back a thousand years, and that's take the ball train. That, that is a fantastic place to go to also. But let's get back to Tokyo. Um, buckwheat noodles are another type of noodles they use. They eat big frog and big pans, oval pans. They have a big oval pans. We see them here in America in the uh, Japanese store, uh, restaurants. Uh, they, they have a flame going in underneath, and they're able to move the pans around. They're like half of they're like a half of a circle, <laughs> and they. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you ever see them? I mean, it, they're really interesting, the pans. Uh, they're, they're blackened, you know, from all the cooking in them. But they do a lot of deep frying in those in those areas. Hey, Peter, yeah. let me ask. Peter, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just I have to know something. One of the facts I gave was that uh, if you go to, if you were born and raised in China, for instance, if Chinese, an authentic Chinese person were to come to America and go to a regular Chinese restaurant, they would not recognize the menu. Uh, how different How different is the food in Tokyo from the food in America? Oh, yes. Uh, well, they'll recognize it. Uh, the Japanese um, food in America tries to keep loyal to its mother country. Uh, they'll recognize it. It's just a different type of style. There's some things that we've never seen in America that they have in Japan. Um, it's like a spooky. Uh, veggie, uh, some sausage in it and what have you. It's sweet. Very, very sweet. And it's uh, cooked on a, a grill. 
you know, type of thing. It, it looks like a gigantic cookie. How about that? And it, it's very, very nice and, and very uh, light. Uh, Chapa, which is uh, like a fried sushi, uh, which is another type of thing they have. Oh, I had Ooh. fried sushi. I absolutely love it. I've had fried sushi, and it's amazing. Right. Well, well they are, uh, you know, uh, have you ever had uh, boiled air eels? No. Water eel no. on rice? Ah, the way they do it, you would think it's something gross. <laughs> but they I, they call it, let's see if I can remember what they call it, uh, anja. Uh, uh. Anja. Oh, they, they also have a, a food that they call uh, manja, which is a noodle uh, batter type thing. Uh, and it's a, 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 and which is kind of funny because in Italian, manja means eat. Yeah, I was thinking that. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds. It sounds it's. Uh, it, it, I believe they spell it M O N J A in in uh, in Japan. But Japan, the food is different from one Asian country to another. Totally, totally different. You know, uh, at Taipei, Taiwan, uh, you know, at the temples, they like to have like a little pot of fire. And a penny, one of those pans in there, and they take a snake and they cut the snake's head off, and they let the blood run out of the snake, and uh, then they fry the snake, the blood, and they they eat it, uh, and they believe that's going to make you really horny, go home and be, you know, a real man, you know. <laughs> Most, yeah. They also have something that the the uh, also have some stuff in. Uh, Japan the same way right. where they say uh, uh, you know this is this is something you know eating the eels and stuff uh, will make you uh, feel more you know uh, more uh, viral uh, well, yeah yeah that's the word, <laughs> I guess uh, I don't I don't want to say anything right. off uh, key with your uh, station here right here. right yeah we were G rated <laughs> trying to keep but a lot of they they like sweet and spicy, uh, you know, tendon. T e n d o m is a cooked uh, like it's it has some bread and it's fried and it's very sweet and spicy. And they use they put it into a black sauce, uh, which is also uh, has sweet. Uh, unusual taste to it, something we're not used to. But boiled ear eels are loved there. They love their, their boiled ears. Uh, Hong, Hong Kong is number one in longevity, life expectancy. Oh, wow. There's more 100-year-olds more in that area uh, than anything. Uh, I think a lot of it might have to do with also uh, how loving and caring they are. I was trying to get to Old City, and uh, I went down to the train station, and there was a, a very old man there, and I said to him, uh, do you know where Old City is? He said, I take you. <laughs> Six oh, wow. miles. He got, he got on the bullet train with me. How about that? Uh, yeah, the bullet train, everybody sits on one side, 
you know, like six people in a seat, and then there's an aisle, like coming down the right side. And if, there's there's no doors at the end of each uh, car. They're open and accordion, and it looks like you're looking for a snake. Oh, it's zipping down my, down my highway at 100 oh my miles goodness. an hour. And they sell uh, tea, and, uh, you know, it's almost like being on an airplane. And the girls, they have these girls that are dressed like airline stewardess on the bullet train. Uh, so you can even eat on, on the bullet train going down. But they're very nice people. Uh, the young lady was sitting next to me and my, and my uh, wife. Uh, she's still writing to us. You know? Oh, wow. So, yeah, they send letters to you, and then you want to communicate. Very, very nice people. You wouldn't get that uh, here. <laughs> That's not happening downtown what, Philly. <laughs> but, but my personal taste on, you know, I like all types of sushi, but my personal one is sweet potato sushi. You have to try it. How about that? It is, I got the guy in, uh, uh, I guess it would be Comcast Building. There's like a food center downstairs. You know where it is. You yeah, I, I'm there all the time. Yeah. Yeah, the sushi gut place. Uh, ask them to make sweet potato sushi for you. See, he'll make it for you. Yeah. How, about, how about that? Yeah, very, very good. Peter, I want to I want to get this point across. I worked with a guy in the military uh, at a job I had. He was retired military, and he told me that Japanese, the Japan, their culture is really focused on relaxing. He said that he used to be a very tense person, and uh, the Chinese culture or the Japanese culture, uh, when he was serviced there, he said that he learned how to relax. How important is uh, relaxation in their culture? Oh, yes, yes. I think that's part of their longevity thing. People are too uptight in America. Not that we don't have anything to be uptight about right now, but, uh, you know, they, they relaxing is so important that uh, have you ever tried acupressure, not acupuncture, acupressure? Oh, no. It is not a, it is not a massage. In America, they think it's a massage. They just touch your body at certain points, and then they release it. They hold those points with their finger. Maybe one might be on your knee, another one on your forehead, you know, and then they let go. And, and you can feel the blood flowing. You, know, you can feel the energy flowing from one area to the other. And when you're done, you're real more relaxed than if you had a massage. Yeah. It, 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 it is awesome. Acupressure. There's very few good people. There was, I had one over here in Swarthmore, uh, outside of Philadelphia, but, but she moved uh, out to uh, the West Coast. Uh, her husband was having some problems, and, and they, they moved out to the West Coast. Uh, he had some health problems. But, uh, it, you know, it, it, uh, I would recommend acupressure. It's been around for 10,000 years. Uh, they proved it when they found the Iceman in Italy, in Switzerland, and they, they built the Iceman Museum. He had uh, arthritis. He was about 60-some years old, I think 63, I guess. And uh, to be treated with acupressure, just pressure points. And he was tattooed on those pressure points where he would treat arthritis. So it, it, it showed that this is 
a healing process that's been going on for at least 10, 12,000 years. And it was mastered for 10, 12,000 years. And that's what he told me. This guy was serviced in the military over in Japan. And he said he had high blood pressure. He had a lot of stress. And then he served about three years in Japan. And he learned how to relax just doing the things you just talked about. And he said it changed his life. Oh, yeah. yeah if people, they're going around tents, getting headaches, taking pills for this, pills for that. Yep. I mean, they're killing themselves. They're killing themselves. You have to learn how to relax if you're going to live into a ripe old age. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting another 17 years. Sure. I'm only 83. Yeah. <laughs> how about that? That'll get me up to 120. You know, the Christian Bible says, God said, you know, I'll give you 120 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter, what was the most uh, interesting thing that you ate while you were in Tokyo? Uh, well, of course, of course, the uh, sweet potato right. uh, sushi. Uh, the anja, um, uh, which is U-N-A-J-U. Just like eel, uh, on top of rice, on top of brown rice. Yeah. So, so they put the, the eel. Uh, they uh, cook the eel, they boil it, and then they put it on top. Boiled chicken was good too. They had boiled chicken on a stick. Nice. Uh, that was that was. Uh, of course, uh, my family had a lot of chicken. They were farmers in South Jersey, and you know, it was like a big thing. And we want to. We want to encourage our listeners. Our show is starting to take off. Uh, we want to encourage everyone to go to your favorite uh, podcast platform. We're on all podcast platforms. And uh, subscribe to learn about world cuisine because Peter hit, an, a, hit a home run on our Italy show. And uh, we're getting nothing but rave reviews about it. So we want to just make sure before we go on that everybody knows Go to all your favorite podcast platforms and subscribe to learn about world cuisine because we're teaching everyone how interesting it is in other parts of the world, you know, and not only are we giving them facts about the country itself, we're giving them facts about how do they eat on a daily basis. And Peter did an excellent job on our Italy show. Peter, uh, Tell the folks how they can find you, what do you got going on, etc. Well, uh, right now I'm working on a half a dozen scripts. Wow. Uh, um, I, a couple of shows I've done that has stopped because of the uh, pandemic. Right. You know, you have to show space in between. I'm working with uh, Fox, uh, CBS. Uh, we're starting, we might be starting a show called uh, Surrealistic. Oh. Uh, which is a, which is a story of my life, uh, 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 real events that have happened in my life that were just totally unbelievable. Like uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I do not, I do not. I, I, had, I, I had a soprano uh, gig, right. and the guy I was going with, uh, he was going to be a barber in the scene and what have you, and uh, he Sal Durango, and Sal forgot the address. And we got to this little town in Jersey we'd never been in before, which was above New York. And uh, Sal says, Pete, I don't have the address. 
I said, don't worry, I'll find it. I've done this many a times. <laughs> and uh, I drive through town. I said, well, I'll make a left here, make another left here. We end up at Colesack Street with the multi-million dollar houses, big, um, tall mansions. And I, I go about three houses. I said, we're here. We pull in the guy's driveways. I said to myself, I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing here? This doesn't look like a shoot. The guy comes running out of the house, and it was a soprano guy I didn't know. He was one of the, the featured guys in Sopranos, and he's on the phone. Who the hell gave these guys my address? <laughs> <laughs> so, so stuff like that, you know, uh, stuff that uh, uh, even I don't know. And I need you, help, and all of a sudden, I have help. And when it's, the whole thing finishes, boom! I look back and I'm like, wow, thank God that happened. And you were because, also yeah. you were also in tons of movies, especially American Gangster, right? Oh, I, I've been. You have to look me up on IMDb, International Movie Database. We don't have enough time right. for me to go over all the movies and see. I don't think IMDb has uh, TV shows on it, just all movies, International Movie Database. Nice. But I've been on more movies than, and even uh, uh, I've been on more TV shows than movies over the years. Gotham, I finished up. I was I was a, a regular on Gotham. I was core. Uh, I, I just, you know, uh, I'm Nike commercial. Uh, I've, I've done so much. You know, stuff. It's, it's fun. And, and, just and enjoy it. for the people at home, I, for the people at home that want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Well, Peter DeFeo, actor, at gmail.com or 610-565-2000. Anyone wants to get into the uh, uh, business, entertainment business, I'll really help you. I'm a SAG actor, and I've been around a long time, and I know everyone in the business. And I'll really help you get in, whether it's New York, Philadelphia, New Jersey. New Jersey is where we're going to start really moving now, because New Jersey has adopted a 37% tax credit. Wow. And they're pushing, pushing to have New Jersey become, you know, busy with filmmaking. Okay. So, in, uh, in closing, Peter, about Tokyo, what do you want to let the folks know about Tokyo in closing? Don't miss it. If you can get there, go. It is awesome. You will love it. That's fantastic. And Peter is a co-host of the show. He's my co-host, and Peter will be with us every week. Our next show is in two weeks, and Peter, we're going to explore Russia and Russian cuisine. Great. Yep. And I I found 100 fascinating facts about Russia, so we're going to have fun. So Peter, we'll talk oh, yes. we'll talk to you on the 29th of June. Thank you again Very for good. Thank you again for a great report. Thank you, Peter. Have a nice one. Bye-bye. All right, buddy. Okay, and let's keep going with the facts. Keep in mind every every week we're giving you facts about the country and the cuisine. Then Peter comes on, gives you his real life experience, and then we have Matt Maritea who's going to come on in a few minutes and give you his alcohol pairings with the cuisine. Till Matt is available, I'm going to keep going with the facts. Uh, seasonal fruits are the most common dessert in China. Now, I found that interesting. 
when you go to an authentic Chinese restaurant in China, uh, they actually will serve you fruit at the end of the meal. Instead of over here, we would get the ice cream. In large cities, there are several bakeries that can be found. Authentic Chinese food is some of the healthiest food in the entire world. Okay, let's let's talk about alcohol. Now, this is a food show, uh, but as alcohol becomes more and more popular in the world, uh, we have our main man, Matt Maratea, did an outstanding job. Go to Google, uh, search Learn About World Cuisine Podcast, listen to our past shows, and you will see that Matt is hitting home runs every week. Matt, how are you? Hey, how you doing, Kevin? Outstanding, and we're getting nothing but compliments about your contribution to this show. You're going to give us the best alcohol pairings uh, with Asian and Chinese cuisine. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, yeah, well, you guys gave me uh, a bit of a tough challenge <laughs> I know. Um, here. So before I actually get into talking about pairings with uh, Asian or Chinese food, I think something definitely to talk about is you want to make sure that you're getting fresh beer, especially now during a time like quarantine. You don't want to be necessarily picking things that have been sitting off the shelf or, you know, it's been in your garage for, for a while. So if you do get a chance to go out, get to breweries, things like that, make sure you go and you try to have or, you know, if there are two-go options, like a freshly filled prowler, a big 32-ounce can, or if they're selling them, a 64-ounce glass bottle. If you bring one of those home, uh, you're going to have absolutely the freshest beers you possibly can, as long as you have it within a day or two, and that's really just going on hand, uh, really whatever your plan is uh, to have, uh, you know, with whatever you're eating. Now, when we're getting into something like Chinese or some type of Asian cuisine, we have to consider a few things. One, there's definitely going to be a lot of spice. Uh, there's going to be some different flavors to it. You're going to have you know, lots of heavy peppercorns in there. There's going to be a ton uh, of different flavors. It's going to be maybe a little barbecuey. So you have to think about what you're eating and then, you know, in what process you're eating. I, for one, I love Chinese food and I have a, you know, a, a couple of pretty consistent favorites. And usually, if you're going to start your Chinese meal, what do you start with? A soup. <laughs> yeah. So for me, my favorite of the two, you usually get the choice, you usually get your hot and sour soup or your uh, wonton soup. Now, I'm a hot and sour guy, right? I love that kind of flavors, that earthiness, that unctuousness to it. So if I'm doing a beer pairing for that or an alcohol pairing, I'm going to want something that has those sort of earthy notes to it that has some sort of spice, the roots in the ground. So I'm actually going to favor, say, maybe if we're talking cocktails or liquors, I'm actually going to want something gin-like, you know, some juniper, 
some type of, you know, earthy quality to it that's a little effervescent as well. And if I'm going beer, I'm going to want something a little bit darker, especially during the fall. I think that's the best time for those sort of hearty, earthy soups. You know, you got the mushrooms, you got, you know, that sort of nice, deep, complex flavor to it. And I want to complement that with something like an Oktoberfest style or a Marzen beer. You could do pretty much anything that comes out of the Philly area once they start making their Oktoberfest or their fall beers. Those would all pair very, very well with a hot and sour soup. Nice. Now, uh, one of the most popular sides that everybody's got to get is you get some Chinese takeout. There's 99% of the time going to be fried rice on the table, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So I think what pairs really well with fried rice, because especially you can just sort of scoop that down, and that is already complementing all the flavors you put in with it. Right. I really love just grabbing a nice Pilsner, because Pilsners can have a little bit of a bready quality to it, but they are lighter in color and taste. So when you get those peas and carrots and you have that little bit of sweetness from those vegetables that comes through, having that Pilsner there to sort of ride that along and complement that and not overpower any of the other flavors, like say if you've got soy sauce or garlic or if you've gone with, say, a pork fried rice, a Pilsner, a nice lady or something that's definitely going uh, to complement that. Like say... You could go with a Victory Prune Fills for nearly anything, I believe, when it comes to actually pairing with Chinese food because it's got enough flavor and a little bit of hoppiness to sort of stand up what's happening. But it's not going to overpower or take over, you know, detract from the meal. That's right. One of the things when you're trying to make these pairings, you want to make sure that Nothing's taking away that the beer you're having, the alcohol that you're having, isn't just so heavy or so mouth coating that it makes you yeah that it makes you turn off from having that beer after uh, you know after a couple bites or you just try to get through the meal without drinking anymore. You want it to be all sort of a conjunctional process, right? Um, I know one of my other favorite advertisers for uh, any type of Chinese meal, Asian meal, is those sweet, sticky ribs that they always have. Okay. It's the nice, uh, those northern style spare ribs. And I really love uh, any type of ribs, whether it's American, Chinese, Asian. Uh, I'm a big fan of going with more of a more floral, more hoppy IPA this. I think those are, when you have the meat and you have that smell, you add uh, those floral notes and a little bit of sweetness uh, from an IPA. And we're it's actually really, we're actually getting yeah, feedback. We're getting feedback from the listeners, Matt, that some of them are trying what you're saying, and they're absolutely loving it. 
So what I want to encourage people to do, because I was very happy to receive the emails, if you listen to a pairing that Matt is giving, try it out and email us at uh, diningonadime at yahoo.com and let us know how you felt. We've already had a couple people uh, complimenting Matt's pairings. Feel free to use this segment as a, you know, to encourage you and give you the momentum to try a Chinese uh, meal or an Asian cuisine and match it with Matt's pairings and let us know, diningondimeyahoo.com. Go ahead, Matt. Yes, and, you know, I'm happy for anyone to, you know, try them out. Tell me what they thought. They have a good experience, bad experience. You know, I, I want to hear it because I'm trying to, you know, get better each and every time at making these pairings, and I'm trying to be thoughtful of what people like, uh, what they want. Well, and, you, you, know, you you have I'm re- always learning too. Yeah, yeah, you have received a ton of compliments about your contribution to our Italian food show, and we had people trying your pairings, and they were bragging about how well it was. So we want to encourage the listeners today, if you hear Matt's pairings, give us an email, diningonadimeyahoo.com, and let us know uh, what you thought, good, bad, or indifferent. But uh, so far, it's been all good. Now, one of my very, very favorite uh, things to order at any Chinese restaurants is that big, big portion of Peking duck. You got that nice, tender duck meat, you have that crispy skin, you have a little bit of that hoisin sauce, maybe even they give you the uh, little uh, pitas to make yourself that little duck wrap. And because that has that sort of toasty, sweet, caramel character to it, my advice uh, for pairing something with that is you would favor your brown liquors perhaps more your whiskeys, uh, maybe even a bourbon, or if you're going to go with beer, an American amber ale is really, really going to hit the spot with that because of that sweetness, the sort of caramel, maybe even butterscotchy notes to it, that is going to help cut through just a little bit. And at the same time, it's going to complement that sweetness to it. And especially, I really love those plum sauces. Yes. So if that's coming through and then you have that slight bitterness from the beer, I think that just works out so incredibly well. Oh, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, we're taking people on a different journey each week. And uh, today we're in China and, and all of Asia. And that is some great tips. Uh, what do you think your favorite tip is, Matt? What do you think? What do you recommend? Is there anything that you can cook in the Chinese cuisine or the Asian cuisine uh, with alcohol? Do you know anything offhand? Or or send us an email, diningonadimeyahoo.com, if you have anything that we can cook, prepare with alcohol. Do you know mm-hmm. of anything, Matt? Uh, I know that I like use a little bit of uh, rice wine. Okay. Actually, when I'm if I'm making something like a uh, I'm making say a silver noodle, if I'm trying to make uh, you know at home lo mein, uh, anything that's got uh, that sort of 
know, the rice wine flavor to it. Uh, I, you know, anything like that will work well when you're doing that. If you're doing some type of meat, uh, I really like something that's got those deeper qualities, something with a ginger uh, to it. Like I could use, uh, say, a Forgotten Boardwalk uh, Lady Number no. 6. It's a summer wit, but it has a heavy, heavy ginger presence. So I could in turn use that to make some type of uh, you know, ginger honey chicken dish. Oh, wow. If I'm trying to make it like that, yeah. That sounds great. Do you cook often Asian cuisine, Matt, or do you is that is Asian or Chinese cuisine something you try to cook at home? I know you're a cook. I try. It's definitely not in my wheelhouse. It's something that I'm hoping uh, to get better at because I I really do need a lot of flavors. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not in a position where I can be getting uh, a cup of and I as I would like. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, uh, let's let our listeners know, because we're catching some fire lately, uh, let them know how to get to your other podcast. Uh, you have an outstanding podcast. Uh, let's talk about that so they know how to listen to that. Yeah. Uh, my podcast is the Sporting Chance Podcast. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Anchor, uh, any of those platforms will be good. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Chance Pod, or on my personal account at uh, mmaratea22. Always happy to interact, talk with, uh, debate uh, anyone that, uh, you know, has a tip they want to try, looking for a little more advice, just wants to talk uh, food. Anything like that. Um, I would especially encourage people after listening to this, if you have any thoughts about pairing sushi uh, with beer and uh, different kinds of alcohol, because I love sushi, but it just, it's always so a weird I. thing to me to try to uh, pair it with some type of beer. Sushi, sashimi, anything like that. Uh, I'm looking for any recommendations you guys might have for that as well. Absolutely. And, Matt, we're going to put you to – I don't think this will be a challenge. What do you think, Matt? We come back in two weeks, and we are going to do an entire show on Russia and Russian Ooh. cuisine. Now, that's going to be interesting, right? What we, I guess vodka? I mean, I, I found out some fascinating yeah. stuff about Russian, Russia and vodka. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the challenge for that one is going to be what, what, what do you say other than vodka? Right. Obviously, you can't you can't get them, but you know, well, what else will work? I'm going to tell you something that uh, that blew my mind. Uh, beer was just considered alcohol in Russia in 2013. <laughs> Till then, it was like a soft drink. <laughs> so I'll leave you with that, Matt. Thank you very much. Uh, people are raving about your section of the show. Matt is with us. Uh, nope. Matt is with us every show, and he's giving you alcohol pairings with the cuisine, but he's also doing a great job uh, giving cooking tips on uh, with the alcohol. Thanks a lot, Matt. No problem. Thanks for having me, as always. And we'll see you uh, for the Russian one in two weeks. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Matt. Okay, now what we're going to do, that was Matt Maritay, and I'm telling you, this guy is fabulous, and you got to go to Google – 
Learn About World Cuisine podcast. Always put podcast, and you can listen to our past shows, and he is hitting home runs every week. All right, what we're going to do is I'm going to keep going with the facts until the uh, end of the show, but this was all about Asia and China. And uh, Peter gave you his real-life experience in Tokyo. Matt gave you his... Uh, Matt gave you his his uh, alcohol pairings, and uh, I'm going to take the last nine minutes of the show, and we're going to do some more facts. I found some interesting stuff about Asia and China cuisine. All right, let's uh, let's get some easy ones. Uh, the wok is the most common tool used in Southeast Asia and China, and uh, woks are very cool. Uh, They're not as popular now as they used to be, but a wok is a fantastic cooking device. Egg, and now this is obvious, but I want to point this out. Egg rolls and obviously pizza rolls are from America. That is not a Chinese. If you were to take a uh, Chinese citizen and bring them to America, they wouldn't even know what pizza rolls are. People in Thailand almost never use an oven to bake, so you will actually have to search for baked goods in thailand once again this show is china and asia all of asia uh chinese cuisine is different as you go to the different regions a traditional uh, uh, traditional chinese breakfast includes rice porridge bread fried pancakes followed by chinese tea or soy milk uh here here's something and i'm not trying to be mean i'm just putting it out there if you go to china and you ask for fragrant meat in china that means it refers to dog meat so if you're you're traveling and you're in china and you say fragrant meat uh, that is actually referring to dog meat Uh, chinese etiquette says that you only use the plate next to you and it's extremely rude to reach over and grab food that is placed in front of someone else Uh, that's kind of obvious i mean if you're sitting at a uh, family table in china and the proper etiquette is to use the plate that is next to you and and they consider it outrageously rude to reach over and grab a plate that is not right next to you um in china they usually sit 10 at a table so if you go to a restaurant in china uh they're gonna have 10 people at a table the table is made of glass usually and that rotates and everyone uses their chopsticks and eats from each of the dish as it rotates around the table uh, Chinese people engage in conversation. So when you eat a meal in China, it's an event. Uh, they engage in conversations about their everyday life uh, while they eat, and it's common for the conversation to be kind of loud. Uh, there are large varieties of healthy Chinese snacks, including seeds and fruits, uh, that are very common across China. Dim sum in Cantonese means touch your heart. So how many people out there have eaten dim sum? Plenty of us. Uh, Dim sum in the Cantonese language means touch your heart. Chinese food was brought to North America by 
immigrants who came to America to build the railways. A lot of people don't real, realize that. A lot of uh, immigrants came to America to build the, the, the railroads. Uh, fortune cookies. I hate to disappoint you, but fortune cookies were invented in California. <laughs> and every Chinese restaurant you go to, they give you fortune cookies, and that was actually invented in California. Southern China uses the wet markets that have been, that have been in, the U, uh, in the news lately. Southern China uses the wet markets to sell live animals as well as fruits and vegetables. 20, only 23% of the Chinese population is considered obese. Only 23%. Rice is considered the world's number one food crop. Uh, the first known record for eating noodles was in 2000 B.C. I have five minutes left. I want to repeat that. Uh, eating noodles was first on record in 2000 B.C. So noodles have been around for a very long time. China has the world's largest instant noodle market. $6.6 billion dollars. In the year 2008, for the instant noodles, ramen, and those kinds of noodles. Uh, the first ramen was invented by a Japanese businessman. You know, I thought this was kind of recent, 1958. Uh, ramen noodles were invented, instant noodles, they're called, uh, in 1958. Uh, if you go to your grocery store, you see the uh, instant cup of noodles, uh, the cup of noodles in the styrofoam cup was just developed in 1971. So I, you know, every time you go to the supermarket, you see the instant noodles in that styrofoam cup, and that was just started in 1971. China only has one time zone. Think about that. There's only one time zone in China. Uh, all, you know, a huge uh, country like that, one time zone. Nearly 60% of the world's population lives in Asia. Uh, nine out of ten of the tallest buildings in the world are in Asia. Uh, yogurt. Now, here's a thing that sh uh, shocked me. Yogurt originated in Central Asia. Yogurt originated in Central Asia. Okay, everyone, we hope you enjoyed today's show uh, all about China and Asia. The purpose of this show is to take you around the world. Uh, it's interesting when I write these shows how much different it is in other, uh, other countries when you dine out. For instance, our Italy show. We talked about there's a, there's a charge just for walking into a restaurant. It's a service charge. Uh, it's just tagged onto your bill. Uh, it, that's for the luxury of you entering the restaurant and uh, eat. It, it has nothing to do with any service that was provided. Uh, China was interesting, too, because uh, most of the stuff I read about China was that Chinese food in America is completely different than authentic Chinese food in China. So we hope you enjoyed it. This was all about Asia and China. Email us, diningonadime at yahoo.com. Follow us on Facebook, Learn About World Cuisine. Go to Twitter, at Learn About World Cuisine. 
contact us on Instagram. I created a Learn About World Cuisine page on Instagram. I promise you by the end of this week, we will have tons of photos. Uh, we return on the 29th of June. Uh, we were going to do an entire show about Russia and Russian cuisine. I picked Russia because I think Russia is a fascinating uh, country. You don't really hear about much food. Russia is not known for their food. Uh, it's not like Italy. And that's going to be a fascinating show. So that's going to be on the 29th. Please go to your favorite podcast platform, learn about world cuisine, subscribe to the show, and we will take you on a culinary journey throughout the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Oh,